0: well good morning church it is great to be at bridgeview today to be back home our uh, one of our home away from homes and uh, i just have to you know we've been Saying thanks to some people this morning, and, and and I appreciate the warm welcome. But I just, God has blessed you here as a church with some great leadership. He's given you pastors that love him, that love this community, and that love you. So can we give Pastor Steve and Pastor Joe a hand this morning? What they are doing is they lead this charge well, it's exciting to be with you to celebrate. We've come today to celebrate what God is doing here in Monticello in Big Lake, and it is evident that God is on the move. His presence is here with us, and uh, just fun to, to sense his presence with you. And God's pouring out his spirit, not just for inside these walls, but it's exciting to think what is coming in the days ahead as God's spirit moves here, and what's going to happen, and it already is happening throughout this community, through this church. So we are here today to celebrate what God is doing here, but not only that, what God is doing around the world, to the ends of the earth. Uh, In the last uh, several months since I've been privileged to be here with you, I've had the opportunity to travel to a couple places around the world and just to, to give voice to the fact that God's spirit is on the move. The privilege this past spring of being in Macedonia and in Greece and uh, sitting around campfires in refugee camps with Iraqis and Syrians, and just able to sense God's presence in those uh, settings. Just last month, Pastor Steve, we were in Cairo, and I can tell you that God has a plan to reach the Middle East. And that plan is unfolding, and God's messengers are being sent and prepared and raised up and trained and called. And so today we're here to just celebrate all that God is doing around the the world. And I want you to know that students are a part of that. Students are right in the middle of what God is doing. And and a part of the students' involvement comes through this thing called Speed the Light. And Speed the Light provides all of the essential equipment, all the transportation needs for 3,500 missionaries around the world. And your students here have been right in the center for, as Pastor Joe said, past decade or so. They have been just so faithful and so engaged and so involved. And Minnesota students in 2015 did something that had never, ever happened anywhere. And that is Minnesota students gave more than a million dollars to missions in 2015. That was pretty exciting. And uh, we were... Just blessed to see what your students did. Last year in 2016, your students gave over $6,000. That's significant because your, the students statewide didn't stop at the million of 2015. They gave $1.1 this past year, and they stepped it up another step. And uh, that's just, just so exciting to be a part of. There are so many stories we could tell you of uh, students and how God is moving in their lives. I'm going to take time to just tell one because there's uh, another person we need to hear from this morning that has come a long way to be with us. But let me just tell you one story this morning. It's a student named Jacob lives down uh, in my neck of the woods and uh, he's a junior this year. And uh, Jacob came to MYC, felt like God spoke to him very specifically to give a sacrificial amount. He was at his youth service the following Wednesday, Pastor Joe. And in that youth service, he felt like the Lord spoke something very specific to his heart beyond just amount. The Lord said, do something physical do something physical. I love what your men are about to do. It's exciting to hear what God's doing even in South Dakota and how God is going to use you. Well, God spoke to this young man and said something very similar, do something physical. And uh, Jacob sat there and his response to God was, would you just give me an idea, Lord, or give me an opportunity? I volunteer, I'm in. An idea, or a vol- or an uh, or an opportunity. The next morning, he got up, checked his mailbox and uh, his email box, and there was an email from his employer. Uh, Jacob is a caddy, and uh, what the what God had spoken to him about way back at NYC at our youth convention, he had thought, "I'm just going to take my my bank account, I'm going to cash it out, and I'm going to sacrificially give." But then, when God spoke to him about doing something physical, uh, this door opens up, and so his, his employer says, "I'd li- there's a miracle that's taken place in Minnesota. It's November, and it's warm enough to golf, and I want to golf this Saturday. And that was just this past November, and uh, maybe some of you were out on the same course. I don't know. I'm not a golfer. But anyway, the caddy calls or, or emails him. So uh, this is what Jacob posts on his Facebook. He says, I am so lucky that I get to get paid for carrying someone's golf clubs. He said, there are children on the island where we are digging wells in Tanzania on Mafia Island that have to walk great distances just to get buckets full of water just to survive. And here I am, a kid in Bloomington, and I get paid to carry someone's golf clubs. He was so excited that God had answered his prayer. Saturday morning he shows up and uh, he begins to talk with his golfer and he's just kind of overflowing and uh, Jacob says to him, man, there are students all across Minnesota and uh, these students, our dream is to raise a million dollars again this year and that dream did come to pass and uh, he begins to talk to him about this place called Mafia Island, which you've probably not heard of unless Pastor Joe has mentioned it here. Uh, Mafia Island, way on the east coast of Africa and uh, as he telling him about it, the golfer's eyes light up, and he says, stop. Did you say Mafia Island? Now, this guy worked at General, works at General Mills. He's the inventor of cinnamon toast crunch cereal, so I like him already, okay? So uh, he's golfing, and uh, they're ready to go out, and he turns to Jacob, and he says, I've been there. I've been there. I've not only heard of this place, I've been there. General Mills sent me there to teach those people how to process food. And uh, they had that in common. God spoke to the golfer's heart. Well, you he maybe didn't know it was God. But God brought this opportunity to Jacob that he had prayed for. And uh, the guy said, you know what, it's not just going to be a $50 gift, uh, honorarium, of payment today. I want to give $500 today toward that project. Before the golf game was over, uh, the, the golfer turned to Jacob and said, if I get a birdie on this hole, I'm going to throw in another 100 Do you think he got a birdie? Yes, he got a birdie. God helped that golf ball, I'm sure, okay? And uh, before the day was over, Jacob's prayer had been answered. God had spoken. God had used a student. And Church, these are the kind of the stories and miracles that are taking place. Students get to be a part of it. Your youth pastor has just led the charge just with such passion here as he not only leads students to Christ, but leads students to have a heart for people to the ends of the earth. And uh, so we celebrate today what God is doing here and what God is doing to the ends of the earth. And to help us celebrate, God has sent us a guy who you're going to need the gift of interpretation to understand. Pastor Joe already referenced it. He comes all the way from this foreign land called Oklahoma. Oklahoma. And he's got this little bit of a drawl that isn't really that bad. I just like to pick on him because he's my friend, okay? And uh, Tom has been here before. This is a, a home away from home for him as well. He has been to this church, and uh, you have welcomed him so graciously to come back. He has been with us and uh, helped us as our national youth director. He's helped us as, as our national speed the light director, our national men's director. I don't think he was ever the national women's director, Pastor Steve, but uh, mostly the Leadership roles down in Springfield. He's been a part of, and uh, he's been coming here. I know he's a man of God because he comes to Minnesota in January. Huh, who comes to, he'll be in Florida next week. Now that's where I expect him to be. You know, but uh, he comes to Minnesota in January. So uh, he's been coming for set, the last 17 years. We've had the opportunity to, to reach out to students and lead uh, what God is doing with students in this area of missions giving. So would you welcome one more time back to Bridgeview, Tom Green. Tom, thanks for being with us today. I'll tell you, after
1: Pastor Joe's introduction, after Mark's introduction, I just feel like I am indebted to you to say, how are y'all doing? I mean, I'm not from I'm not from that far south. I I was in Mississippi a few weeks ago and I'm telling you there you do have to pray for the translation. Every word has at least 3 syllables. I don't care what it is, but, uh, and, but I can tell you this much, don't, don't fuss about it too much because it's catfish and sweet tea every night, and that's God's good. I mean, he, I, I spoke on a series of tours in Mississippi a couple of years ago, and every night there was a buffet. Here I'm getting to do pizza ranches and on the Speed the Light tour, this was a Light for the Lost tour, and every night was what they referred to as the, uh, the it was the uh, seafood buffet a seafood buffet in mississippi is fried catfish fried chicken fried shrimp fried pickles if it can be breaded and fried and it's edible you eat it and sweet tea bring it just keep bringing it by the gallon and uh, by the time we got to Friday night, I was in a restaurant that had been set aside just for our group, and, and, uh, and so there was a lot of people there, and I told them about, I've, I've had this experience every night, and I said, I get to go up north and preach quite a bit, and when I talk about being in the south, they kind of make fun of the way we eat in the south, you know, because they're not very healthy, and, and I, I just said to them, I said, well, I can tell you this much, we, we may not eat very healthy, but we're going to die happy, and, and when I said that, you would have thought that it was just having church and people were shouting. I mean, they, they, they couldn't have been complimented any greater than that right there. So. But I've been in youth ministries now. I was, I was telling some group uh, this week, and uh, this is kind of scary. I've been involved in some aspect of youth ministries now for more than 40 years. And in my case, that means that when I die and they drain my blood, it'll actually be pepperoni grease, you know, because it's been... Uh, a lot of pizza along the way, but it's great to be with you today. This uh, Some of you that have been a part of this great church for the last number of years, this isn't the first time that I've gotten to be here, and I'm uh, I'm just thrilled to be able to come back. Pastor Steve, thank you to you and your wife and, and the entire team. What an honor it is to be on your platform today and uh, to experience what God is doing. I just feel so left out today. I actually shaved my face today, and I, and I just And I don't know, uh, I was telling Pastor Steve, I, I had the mustache for years, and finally my wife says, I'm just tired of kissing a brush. And I wasn't tired of kissing, so I shaved it off. And so anyway, but it's just great to experience. And I hope that I, you take this as the compliment that I mean. I don't say this every week, every place that I go. Having been here a number of times, I've always enjoyed myself, and people have always been friendly, and not only before I preach, but even after people were kind, you know, and, and, uh, but, uh, but I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you as a person who basically comes, you know, seems like once a year almost, Joe, you, you've kind of been responsible for that, but uh, I, I will tell you this, I sense something in this church, I mean, there was a powerful presence of the Holy Spirit that's here, I just think, I think it's a new day, and it's an exciting day, and, and I don't—I don't proclaim to be a prophet. I'm—I'm I'm kind of a nonprofit in a lot of ways. But I—I I will tell you this: I believe with all my heart that the future of this great church—it's—it's it's brighter than it's ever been, and the best days are yet to come. And uh, the Holy Spirit's doing it. And I, I feel a little bit at home. I turned to Mark and I said, "My son-in-law, who's an evangelist, he goes to the Lakota reservation every year, takes a large team from Oklahoma, and is involved there. And so I'm fully aware of uh, what God is." doing there and how difficult it, it, the circumstances are. So to you men that are here, I say thank you for the investment you're making in the team. Uh, get, get on that team. You'll never regret it. The, the amazing thing is we go so we can change people's lives and hopefully their etern- eternity. But I've never been on a missions trip yet that it didn't change me, and usually for the better. And so it's just uh, great to be able to experience what God is doing. Would you take your Bibles this morning and turn to the 16th chapter, the last chapter of the book of Mark? I want to say a little something kind of as the outsider here. I, I've had the honor of serving our movement, the Assemblies of God, in the area of uh, being a national director of Speed the Light and then later national youth director. Prior to that, I was also a district youth director, and so Speed the Light is a part of my, well, it's it's central to my passion for missions, to be very candid with you. I don't understand why we would send missionaries, and I applaud you along with other churches that we monthly commit to providing for our missionaries to have the budget that they need to do what God has called them to do. But, but what I've never fully understood is why we would send missionaries and not give them the tools that they need to get this job done. I was sharing with Mark last night, I've been bragging to students all across Minnesota, it's been a dream for a long time that there would be one state or one district in, an, in America it would actually give more than a million dollars in one year to be able to provide equipment for our missionaries. And uh, it, it's a long story that I'm not going into the details now, but I can tell you this. Minnesota, the first district to do that, that in itself was just, um, I, I, we overworked the term miraculous, but I don't think it would be in that respect. Most of it coming through the hands of students. You know, I, when I was leading Speed the Light, time and again, people would look at me, businessmen that I'd visit with on an airplane or something, and they'd say, I don't get it. Why you people in the Assemblies of God would ask students to provide every car and truck and sound system that missionaries use? And I, I always had one quick response. I, I think it's actually pretty cool because I don't know of anybody that has a greater appreciation for cars and trucks and sound systems than the American teenager. I, I put it this way. Their car or truck is their sound system. You may not be able to hear it, but you can feel it for blocks, you know, and just boom, all the vibration. But it is amazing. But I was sharing with Pastor Mark last night. I had another who brought it to my attention. Our movement started with 300 people that gathered in a rented opera house in Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1914. No, I was not there. A little bit of my DNA was I've since discovered that I had great-grandparents that were a part of that original group that gathered together in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Out of that came these words. Today we would call it a mission statement. They, they said, we commit ourselves to the greatest evangelism the world has ever known. Now, you know, if I had read that back then, I would have probably thought, well, that's, that's not just dreaming. That's, a, that's kind of arrogant. The greatest the world has ever known? I've heard the reports, and I can tell you based on my own family history, the reality was there wasn't one earned doctorate in the crowd. There wasn't one millionaire. There were just, I mean, there were a, hand, a number of people that were committed to missions, but it, it seemed like the impossible dream. Well, today approximately 102 years this fall this spring it'll be 103 years later we're now a part of this Pentecostal movement that involves more than 70 million people in 250 plus nations and uh, and territories around the world so but it's kind of like dreams do come true if they could have possibly imagined that well Our movement rocked along, and for the first 40 years, you could map it out, and you would understand that there were more people in the Assemblies of God within the borders of America than there were all the rest of the world combined. telling Pastor Mark, I saw a graph that represented how those two would go, those that are outside of the... Well, it was about mid-1950s, 54 or 55, when the line crossed that it was larger outside of the United States. Today, of those more than 70 million, about three... 2.2 0.2 million are here in the states the remainder in those countries around the world and when I looked at that I kind of looked through a little uh, kind of a, a different lens and I, I saw you know what Speed the Light started in 1953 excuse me 1943 ministry that we involve our children with 1949 called BGMC I didn't get to lead BGMC, but I've always been jealous because I just I think it's too easy to raise money when you put a barrel in a child's hands and say, here, stand in front of your grandparents here, real quick, you know. And I've I've got five grandchildren and I become a human ATM when they say I love you, Papa. And so it, what do you want, baby? Well, in all of that process, here's where I go with that. 1953, men's ministry started a ministry known as Life for the Lost. Women's ministries, you've kind of been involved from the beginning, actually. But you put, I refer to those, those are the support ministries. Those are the providing ministries. That's when the dreams of 1914 started skyrocketing. We didn't come to hear that story, but other than to say, today we get to be a part of providing every car, every truck, every sound system that more than 3,500 Assemblies of God missionaries use to advance the kingdom of God. So at the close of the service, as Pastor Steve said, yeah, we're going to be asking people to, some would say, well, I thought that was the youth ministry's responsibility. I thought Pastor Joe, that's his job to do that. Well, I can simply tell you this, I've i have never known a student that didn't have, that had something to give that didn't kind of originate either in mom or dad's or grandma and grandpa's pockets. Well, today we're just going to come straight to you and ask, would you help us to achieve this dream? Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning? Mark the 16th chapter, and I'm going to be very careful here. It's about 10 minutes after 11, and I know that pastor always gets you out by 1130. What's the deal with that? I'm, you you had a chance right there. and There wasn't one amen, but a lot of giggles. We're going to be sensitive to the time, but it's most important that we hear from God today. The 14th verse of that 16th chapter goes like this. Later he appeared. Jesus appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus, thank you again. I can't believe that you actually trust us to take the greatest message, the message of salvation, the message of eternity with you, Lord. You allow us the privilege of being the delivery system. But, Lord, if we don't do our work, then somebody doesn't get the opportunity to respond. Help us today, Lord, to not only hear the word of God preached, but, God, more important than that, help us to hear that still, small voice that challenges us with the get-to of missions, to be a part of providing for our heroes. Our missionaries around the world speak to us, Jesus, in these next moments. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. Well, I hate to open up old wounds. Let me state it up front. I happen to be a Minnesota Vikings fan. That's not because I've been coming here for 17 years. I'll give you my personal bias. Mark said, Tom he's from Oklahoma originally. That makes me sooner born, sooner bred, and when I die, I'll be sooner dead. There's a couple of guys on that team, one by the name of Adrian Peterson who played for my team, another one by the name of Sam Bradford. I've never had the opportunity of meeting each. I do have a signed copy of a Sports Illustrated with Adrian Peterson, and it changed my life. But it was January 10 of last year, When you're a Vikings fan, you don't necessarily have a great move in the playoffs every year, but it was our chance. January 10, it was a cold, frigid January day. I was not in that stadium, but I'll admit to you, it always amazes me how a stadium could be filled when the temperature's in single digits and spitting snow, and yet, uh, well, it was, and that, well, it, it impacted the game, and things did, it wasn't a high scoring game. It came down into the fourth quarter. The time was running out. The Vikings were down 10 to 9. Three field goals. They never never crossed the field, the, 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 uh, the line for the touchdown, but they didn't have to. Why? Because, well, they marched it down the field in the closing minutes, came down to where there was going to be one last play, and it was set up for a 27 yard field goal. I look at the faces of some right now, and it's not going your direction at the moment. Now, i got to tell you something. A 27-yard field goal, I've done my homework on this. That regular season that led to this time, of all the field goal kickers in the NFL, anything that was attempted inside of 28 yards had a 99% success rate. No field goal kicker in the NFL had kicked more field goals in the regular season than our field goal kicker with the Vikings. The offense has done their job. They're set up for it, 27 yards. The team trots out on the field. Let's be honest about it. We don't like the end result, but uh, you know what? They wouldn't have even been in the game if it hadn't been for the field goal kicker who had already put three balls through the uprights. The line sets up. The ball is hiked. The man sets it down. Everything is perfect. I have a feeling that there were probably people in the stands that were already on their smartphones booking airline tickets for the next game. There were parties that were already being planned. Why? Because we are on the march to a Super Bowl. This is the time that we get. I mean, this, this is it. I mean, 27 yards. There are people. It, it's, this is, well, the, the ball is snapped. The ball is placed down. Some of you, if you're a football fan, you're ahead of me right now. I didn't get to see it that night. I happened to be on an airplane when it happened. But when I saw the replay, even I was watching it with anticipation to see what happened. But I don't even remember seeing the ball after it had been kicked. Golf was mentioned earlier. If you're a golfer, it's called snap hook to the left. The ball never came close to the field goal. It never had a chance. I didn't have to be there to know this. I got a feet. I, I did watch the replay, and there were actually people cheering as the ball left the kicker's foot, only to have the air leave the stadium. He missed it. There were—I—I I, I don't know this to be true, but there's kind of a—it's a, a modern-day term. I—I—I I, I, I must admit to you, I've been a sports fan all of my life. I'll blame my dad on that, but—and uh, it, it, and so I—I I think I know more about the game than I do as far as being able to play it. But I've got a feeling in the stands. This modern-day term was used throughout. Perhaps it happened in living rooms as people were watching. I I think I know that this word, this, this, this statement was being used on the sidelines concerning the field goal kicker. He had one job. You ever heard that term? He had one job. Now, there may be field goal kickers in the room, and i got to tell you, I have a great admiration for such. I'm not sure I could get it five yards from where it's supposed to be, so that's, that's not the issue. But I can tell you that, that there, if you've ever been a football player, you already have the attitude. I've heard it said from football players, field goal kickers, they're not even athletes. They don't have to be an athlete. There's no playbook for them. You don't need a playbook. The job that you have, you kick the ball. You kick the ball while other people are practicing, while they're going through the exercises, while they're doing the lifting, while they're doing all the hard part. All this man is doing, two and three and four and five hours a day, kick the ball, kick the ball, kick the ball. He had one job. I've never felt sorry for a person in all of my life than what happened that day. Now, some in the room might be going, uh, well, as a matter of fact, somebody walked up to me earlier today. Are you the special speaker today? I said, well, probably not special. And there are those in the room going, well, you're absolutely right. I didn't come here to hear about football today. Please pardon the silly illustration. But in a sense, Jesus had 11 men gathered in a huddle called a table. Jesus began speaking to the 11 men that had been following after him that he had mentored for the previous three and a half years. Those that had witnessed the miracles of Jesus, those that had heard the wisdom of Jesus, not only publicly but personally, those that had experienced to be able to walk with him, talk with him, sit at a table with him, and to be in his presence for three and a half years. And now Jesus looks to the 11. Some would say, well, I thought that he had 12 disciples. Well, remember, one didn't make it to this point. Not King James, but in a very real sense, Jesus looked at his 11 and said, Boys, you have one job. I don't think that's. Oh, no, 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 no. You go back and you read it again, what we read just a few moments ago. You see, the one job was going to all the world and take this gospel, preach this gospel to every creature. It's the one responsibility of the church. Our responsibility as a church is not to build buildings and start ministries unless at the center of our building of buildings and the starting of ministries, the sending of evangelists and missionaries around the world, the entire purpose of everything we do is built around the one responsibility, the one job, if you will, of preaching this gospel to every person on the planet. Jesus looked to his 11 and said, you have this responsibility. You make sure that everybody, let me tell you something. Nobody took it more serious than those 11. If you follow their lives even beyond the recollection in God's Word, go to the history books and you will discover that every one of those men took Jesus literally. Even the concept of going to the ends of the earth, every one of them gave their lives for the purpose of delivering the gospel to every creature. And 10 of the 11 were martyrs for their faith. And John himself was not a martyr for the faith, but it wasn't for a lack of trying. I must admit to you, there's one of those disciples that I have a little personal bias for. My name is Tom, a derivative of Thomas. When I mention Thomas in most circles, well, we have an immediate response to that. Oh, I doubt that. I'll, I'll admit to you, it amazes me how the human nature is. One man can have one little slip up in his life and say the wrong thing, and here we are 2,000 years later, and we can hardly mention the name without calling him Doubting Thomas. Why do I bring that up? Because Thomas was the perfect picture of the fulfillment of everything Jesus commanded them to do. You follow the life of Thomas and you will discover he was the one disciple who literally went to what was the end of the known earth at that time in southern India. There he preached the gospel. There he shared the story of a risen Savior. And there he was martyred for his faith. 2,000 years later, the church still has the same job the same responsibility the one job what grieves me and Joe you know I've been here more than once and I'm sure that I've made this statement because every time I preach about missions it it absolutely disturbs my spirit to report I'd give anything if we could change it but we continue to report that almost half the population of this planet has yet to have an adequate presentation of the gospel Mark Dean was sharing with me one particular story that indicated the 42% of the population in the world. Now that's not to say that they haven't heard the name of Jesus. There are many who have never heard the name of Jesus, but I've got a feeling there are people perhaps that you work with on a daily basis that may even use the name of Jesus in their vocabulary, but they've never had anyone share with them the reality of John 3, 16, that God did love us so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life life Jesus was willing to lay his life down on the cross of Calvary as he stood in the face of Pilate he declared for this cause was I born for this cause I came into the world this is the reason that I am on this planet Jesus had his one job he did it and then he turns to his church those of us who have accepted him and today every one of us in this room still have that one job even 2,000 years later well, it's been mentioned this morning that we celebrate the fact that there's more than 3,000 Assemblies of God missionaries scattered around the world. We've had the blessing of being around some of them, those heroes that have even come to this church on an occasional basis and tell about the, themselves. I can tell you this, I don't think that I've ever met a missionary that if given the opportunity, in a matter of seconds, they wouldn't need 30 minutes preparation, they wouldn't need several days to put it together. They can tell you in a capsule of three minutes about that moment in their lives. When they discovered, even from the voice of God, perhaps that still small voice, it may have been in a children's church service, it may have been in a missions emphasis, it may have been in the quietness of their own room or a youth camp or kids camp, but somewhere in their life they could point to the moment when they knew the one cause, the one job that God had placed them in this world to do their responsibility of going into all the world and preaching this gospel to every creature. Oh my goodness, today we have missionaries that are in some of the most populated places of the world, some that are in the most remote places of the world, some that are in the inner cities of America, some on the reservation doing everything that they can to share the good news of Jesus. But I can tell you, there are missionaries that even risking their lives in the Middle East today, some that are scattered across those shores that Mark is speaking of, that have committed themselves not only to greeting and being able to help in a humanitarian way, those that are racing out as refugees, trying to escape the, 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 the horrible things that are happening, and yet they have committed themselves to the one job of helping people to understand that God cares about them and gave His only begotten Son for them. Today the focus is speed the light. How in the, This one responsibility... I love to tell the story. I'm sure I've shared it here before, but I I, I can tell you it was in 1943 when God called a young man through the leadership of our church to come to Springfield, Missouri, and to be able to sit down and talk about the possibility of starting a youth ministry. It was at that opportunity, that one job that was given to him, Ralph Harris walks down a hallway. He took God's word literally. He crawled into a broom closet, and he started praying. He said, "I, I prayed it desperately. God, give me worthwhile ideas. Isn't it amazing how God seems to always answer those prayers? It it worked for Jacob. Give me a worthwhile idea. Well, for, for Ralph Harris, the worthwhile idea came this way. He said, I believe that God has called the youth of the Assemblies of God to provide transportation. You see, in 1943, there was not even public transportation available to get our missionaries because it was tied up delivering soldiers around the world. He got a crazy idea. He asked every student in America to give a dollar. That year they raised $31,000. They bought a retired military plane and they sent missionaries to Africa. Been reported by families of those that once they got to Africa, they never came back because they didn't want to get on that plane again. But they committed their lives to the one job. They took it seriously when Jesus said, I placed you on this planet to deliver the good news. How valuable is speed the light to our missionaries? Well, let me just use the words of a... (laughs) I was at a national event, general counsel for our movement. I was standing at a booth and I had an elderly gentleman. I'm going to be honest with you. Every time I look in the mirror, I'm kind of changing the definition of elderly. He's always older than I am, of course. But this was a man that, quite frankly, he shuffled up to me, and he introduced himself, and I apologize. I wasn't smart enough to even pick up his name and remember it. But I do recall, he said, Tom, I'm from Alabama. I'm retired now. I was a missionary to Africa for more than 40 years. He called out the name of the country he began sharing a few items i have a friend who's native to alabama and he tells me this guy's a hero and well i was the speed the light director at the time and he said i understand that that's what you do and i said well yeah as a matter of fact i i'm blessed to get to do that and he said well i came to say thank you i said sir you don't owe me any thanks and he said yeah i really do and i said well no i I'm sure I didn't have much to do with that. He said, well, people like you did. And he's, we're kind of getting into a little bit of a fuss. But then he really got my attention. He said, would you do me a big personal favor? Sir, I'd be happy to do anything I could for you. He said, you travel a lot? And I said, oh, yeah, kind of live in airports. He said, when you're standing before students, if you think about it, would you tell them thank you on behalf of this broken-down missionary or speed the light? I said, sir, I'd be happy to. He began telling me the rest of his story. I'll give you the abbreviated version. When he came to the end of the story, he said, Tom, when God first called me to be a missionary, it was as a teenager in a youth camp in Alabama. Some in the room may be old enough to remember these days. I mean, one of the most beautiful camps in all of America happens to be in Minnesota. I've had the blessing of being there several times. This goes back a few years. He said it was in an, he he described it. He said it was a sawdust altar. The altar itself wasn't sawdust, but the floor was. He said, I'll never forget that Thursday night when I crawled into an altar, and there God spoke to my heart, and he gave me a vision. And I guess maybe it was just the enthusiasm of a teenager, but all I could do was see myself preaching to thousands of Africans. I committed my life to that task. He didn't use the words, but it was his one job. Tears started rolling down his cheek as he said, here's what I want you to say, thank you to the young people. Because of Speed the Light, I fulfilled every dream that God gave me as a teenager in that youth camp altar. He said, I was so excited as a teenager, I couldn't wait to get there. If I had to, I would have walked every mile of the way. I would have done everything possible just to get back into the jungles that God called me to do. If I had to, I would have preached at the top of my lungs to do everything I could. But he said, because of speed, the light, I always had the vehicle that would take me to places that I couldn't get there otherwise. I had four-wheel drive vehicles where I could go where there were no roads. Because of speed, the light, they always provided me a sound system. And in my case, it had to come with a generator because I was going to places that there was no electricity. His last words to me before he turned around and walked away, he said, please, tell them thank you. Because a teenager's dream became a reality in an old man's heart. Because somebody gave that I could have that equipment. Well, we come to the last part of this message. and Some in the room might go, uh-oh, somebody gave. I guess this is where he's going to start talking about that offering pastor mentioned. I don't like it when preachers talk about money. Well, let me put your mind at ease. That's all I'm going to talk about for the next five minutes. Because you know what? I'll admit to you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound like a smart alec, but I've never purchased a car that they didn't ask for money. Even in my old age, I mean, I still like to have a nice sound system in my car. Guess what? It takes money. I am such a great admirer of these musicians that worship God with their musical instruments. And yours truly? Well, I do well to play a CD player occasionally. But it takes money. Every missionary hero that's been willing to rise up and say, Jesus, I'll do the one job. I'll go where you want me to go. It's more than a song that we made popular in days gone by. It's a reality. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll go where you want me to go. They're willing to go. And well, it always seems to come down to this. Would someone understand that we have one job, and that is to be the provider's? Pastor John Piper put it this way. He said, when it comes to missions, we have three options. You either go, you send, or you disobey. Why is that? Because of the simplicity of our one job. Go into all the world and take the gospel to every creature. Few minutes, I'll be asking you to bow your head. Pastor Steve will be coming. And yes, we're going to receive an offering. And uh, you know what? I could be wrong about this. God may speak to some to do something we're not immediately prepared to do. I'm, I'm going to need an offering envelope where I can fill it out and tell you what I will send on behalf because, well, my wife won't let me carry a checkbook anywhere. But I always love that every time that I bow in His presence and say, Jesus, okay, so what can I do with my part of this one job? I heard a guy say it, and I've kind of borrowed the line because it's real in my life. Every time, every offering, if it's a faith promise for general missions or we have the opportunity to be a part of a particular project, I can tell you this. It seems like always the first amount that God puts in my head somewhere is usually his idea. Why is that? Because I become the chief negotiator after he's given me that figure. And I start trying to tell him, but I've got this, and I've got that, and, well, I can... Let me just close by telling you a quick story about a young lady in southern Illinois that gathered in a service on a Wednesday night. Pastor Joe, I got a feeling you've done this more than once, but the youth pastor that night had put a faith promise card in the hands of every one of the teenagers to fill out what their faith promise, what their, actually what their personal goal would be for the coming year. Well, I could bore you to tears telling you endless stories of students across America who have written down faith promises, goals for a year, giving to speed the light, everything from $50 to $5,000. This next week, I'll be in a church on Wednesday night where there was a young lady who gave more than $5,400 in one year. The next year, she set a $10,000 personal goal, but she only gave $9,400 as a 16-year-old. What a loser. She didn't even make her go. You know what? It's not about the amount, it's about obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice, the scripture declares. But sometimes obedience demands a sacrifice. Youth pastor handed out the cards. He had his district youth director, one of our colleagues, Mark, who stood and he preached about speed the light that night and he had the kids bow their heads and Write down on the card whatever you think Jesus is asking you to trust him for. And I must admit to you in all my years of ministry, I'd still rather be in a room full of teenagers because they're just crazy. I mean, kids, they they think they can kill giants with a strip of leather and a few stones. I read that somewhere. Kids are filling out their cards, and the youth pastor did something that only students could get excited about. He didn't call out names, but as the cards were coming in, he started calling out amounts because they were going to do a grand total that night. He asked the district youth director to help him, and they would kind of tag team. And one would say $50, another might say $100, another would be $1,000. And the whole group, they were, they, he encouraged them to cheer every time they called out a figure. And, and the, the district youth director, he gets one of those cards, he looks at it, and suddenly his hands started trembling because he thought, oh, no, we are in trouble and he turned to the youth pastor, and he kind of turned. He gets away from a microphone, and he looked at his youth pastor, and he said, do you know this young lady? And he said, yeah, she's part of our youth group. And in the DYD, he said, well, he said, buddy, you're in trouble, and I'm going to be in trouble, and we're all going to be in trouble. And he said, what? He said, she didn't write down an amount on her card. He said, well, I'm sure she meant well. He said, yeah, she wrote for her faith promise. She wrote down my car." So why are they going to be in trouble? Because there was a mother and a dad gonna hear about it that night. The youth pastor turned to him and he said, Oh, don't worry about it. He said, What do you mean, don't worry about it? And, and, and the youth pastor said, Don't worry about it. She doesn't even have a car. Can't give what you don't have. They thought nothing more about it. They called out the grand total, everybody cheered, and they went to eat pizza. The next afternoon, about 3.30, there's a knock on the door of the youth pastor's office. This young lady and her mother are standing there at the door. His immediate thought was, there's a mama going to kill me right now. Instead, the mother stood by her side as 17-year-old Sarah reaches into her purse, pulls out a cashier's check for almost $3,000 and handed it to the youth pastor. Sarah, I can't do this. And her mother looked looked at him and said, oh, I've already been down that road. You have no choice. The rest of the story was Sarah had been saving and was just about to the point where she could purchase her first car. She emptied the account and gave it away. Now, i got to tell you the rest of that story before you start feeling sorry for Sarah. The rest of that story was the youth group had a goal of raising enough money to buy one of Illinois' missionaries their first Speed the Light vehicle. The missionary is traveling around the state for more than a year raising their necessary budget. It's time to go to the field because this church has fulfilled their goal. They're going to have a Speed the Light vehicle when they get there. The missionaries, it's a difficult time. I won't go into all the details, but part of going back to the field is selling your property that you no longer need. And one of those things was their car. He's trying to decide how much he should sell his car for that they've been traveling Illinois with. And he felt God speak to him, and he said something to his wife, and he expected that she would go, are you out of your mind? He said, sweetheart, God keeps telling me that I'm not supposed to sell our car. There's a young person I'm supposed to give this to. He calls the youth pastor of the church that's providing it, and he says, you're going to think I'm absolutely crazy, but I think there's a young lady in your church. He begins describing the length of her hair, the color of her hair, and he said, I could be wrong, but I think her name is something like Sarah. God told me, Give her our car before we leave. Now, I want to be very cautious here. My purpose in telling you the end of the story is not so that, well, if I give them the offering today, I'll have a new car tomorrow afternoon. Nope. I've never given with expectancy in that sense. But God will be a debtor to no one when we're obedient. But you know what? I'll I'll be honest, I hate to even tell that story publicly because it's not about Sarah's blessing. It was about Sarah's obedience. When she heard from God, when she gave, she was the part of being able to provide the one tool that would be used by one missionary to do their one job. Today, we have one job. Our job is easy. Jesus, thank you. As pastor comes, Lord, to the closing moments of this service, I know there are those in the room that were abundantly blessed, and yet there are others that it's a struggle sometimes. Lord, one thing we can all have in common is to be able to hear that still, small voice. Lord, the reality is, one job, take this gospel to every creature. For our missionary heroes, that's, in some cases, being willing to put their life on the line. For us, well, we have the get-to admissions. missions. We get to be a part of fulfilling the one responsibility you gave us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do in this room. Together, we can speed the light. We can do what no other generation has done. Take this good news to every person.